Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And as you know, each week I bring incredible, inspirational people from all around the world going past those surface level conversations and really delving deep about mental health issues and the well-being sector. So today's guest is Benny Clark. He's a professional musician based in Wurundjeri country in Nam, Melbourne, touring with the likes of Baker Boy and many more. Outside of this, Benny has spent 16 years working with high-risk adolescents and adults and many settings such as after hours crisis respond and outreach, youth and adult prisons, plus many other roles. Benny's main response of work is based around therapeutic models, brain development and childhood trauma. So mate, first and foremost, welcome to the show. Thank you, my bra. Thank you. You're Appreciate welcome. Like, I, I just want to say like, it was so funny. You posted something the other day and I was like, we have known each other now. What? Two years, probably about two years. Yeah, maybe a bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Never met you. Talked to you half the time. And you posted something <laughs> the other day, and I was like, why haven't I had Benny on the show yet? Like, like the stuff that I learned from you about neuroscience and brain development, stuff like that. And like, you've supported us along the way. You came to the virtual hands and you taught me so much about the brain, and you just posted something. And I sat back the other day and I was like, I need to get Benny on the show. Why haven't Benny on the show? So, hey, I apologize. Even had, you even had brother Joe on before me. Jeez. Well, you know what? What What did they say? Like a, a fine wine, mate. You've got to let it sit and then you get the best. So that's it. Are. That's it. <laughs> so you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the one to poke and prod to try and, you know, get on things to promote myself. So it's, uh, if you want me, you'll ask me. And when the time's right, <laughs> the time's right. Exactly, and that's what I love about you, mate. Like you, you, you got this tough exterior, like what you do, your profession, and you're out there and everything. But you've got a heart of gold, mate, and you're always there for other people. So, and you've been a huge support to me and the boys that you've got to know as well, and yours. Yeah. But take us back. I like to get to know people, obviously behind that profession. I know you as that musician, but I also now know you as the guy with a heart who gives back in his profession, helping others. So. How did you kickstart everything within the entertainment industry, move through yeah. the sector with your own mental health, and then end up in a profession at the side of everything, helping others? Well, it's it's actually a really interesting story how I, how I got into everything. Um, so I, um, I have really, really bad ADHD. So I need to do 100 things that I never finish. Right. And there's only like three or four things in my life that I actually finished or stuck to. <laughs> yeah. um, so music wise, when I was a kid, I, uh, my best mate that lived up the road uh, had a motorbike. So of course I wanted to be like my best friend, like oh, dad, I want a motorbike. Da, 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 da. Got me a motorbike. So I used to go out riding every weekend. And I'm talking, I was a, I was a pup, like maybe seven, eight years old. And um, one day I had a, a dog attack me while I was riding my motorbike. And of course, got off the bike and went, nah, that's it. I hate this thing. I never want to ride a motorbike ever again. 
So, of course, dad was going to sell the motorbike. I was like, well, what do you want? It's your money. Like, what do you want to get out of it? I mean, you know, my, my both my parents worked super, 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 super hard. But, you know, we didn't have the the lavishes of, of most people our age. You know, I, I um, we struggled. We definitely struggled. Um, but for dad, for us to save up for that motorbike was a, was a really big deal. And then to sell it, dad's like, well, you need a hobby. What do you want to do? And I always loved watching drummers. It, it was like, you know, my dad raised me on pistols and the clash, but then I love bands like Korn and Metallica and Slayer. And it was like, I want to do what that guy does. So, you know, having ADHD, mum and dad are like, okay, we'll get your drum kit. It'll be a phase. It'll be something you'll, you'll get bored with really quickly <laughs> and you'll never go back to it. 21 years later, I now do it professionally. <laughs> wow. So I didn't, didn't get rid of it. Um, on the youth work sense, I, um, I was just kind of getting my foot in, into Aboriginal community. Um, my, I always knew I was Aboriginal, but my granddad didn't really talk about it much. He, he'd had some pretty horrible trauma growing up because of his Aboriginality. Um, and there was an agency called Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency. Now, both my mum and dad both do the same type of work that I do. And mum was working at Vacker at the time. And, and I got offered a job there being on reception. And I was told, if you want to meet community and you want to get involved in community, this is where you do it. And I was 16. Like, this is where you're, you sit on reception for a week, you'll meet the entire community. Like, <laughs> cool, no worries. And within three days, I met everybody. I've met people that are still my mentors today. Um, I met, you know, elders that are, are now, you know, worldwide renowned people for, um, you know, the type of work they do. And, you know, I, I got some really amazing mentors out of that, but never wanted to be a youth worker. I was going to be a plasterer. I was going to be a plasterer. I was going to dig in deep. I was going to start my own business. I was going to make lots of money and buy a house and do all this sort of stuff. And I turned 18 and I got thrown resi unit out of home care unit and 16 years later again i'm now doing it professionally and i like to think i'm you know i'm not confident with lots of things in my life but i'm very confident and i'm very very good at my job yeah and i've seen what you do mate and uh it was so funny because when you were saying that who you used to look up to and um serendipitously how I met the guy from Corn and brought him onto the campaign. Where's gear? They're, and then you got to meet him. So yeah, it's coming turnaround like that. But I suppose when it comes to that, like I was asking Wes at the time, and you being here in Australia, once you go from that kind of hobby to turn it to mm. professionalism to touring, yeah. everybody again sees the highlight reels. They don't see yeah. what it took to get there. And I suppose what they see with a rock star lifestyle is kind of the hotels, trashing the hotels and enjoying parties all the time. But yeah. how does that affect someone's mental health if it's lonely on the road as well? Because I can assume you're with the same boys 24-7. You don't want to be with them constantly. Yeah. Like, what, what yeah. plays on your mind and how do you all kind of navigate through that on the road? I guess it really depends on the standard that you're at as well in the business. I mean, first starting out, I mean, we if we got offered a show in Queensland, you you got in a van and you drove for two days to play one show where you might make 50 bucks and have nowhere to sleep 
and then you drive back to Melbourne again. Uh, my first ever tour was on the Gold Coast, um, the Hard Rock, no, Sunshine Coast, the Hard Rock Cafe on the Sunshine Coast. And I got in a van with this band and I, I would have been maybe 21 when I went did my first interstate tour. And we drove from Melbourne to Queensland for the, my first ever interstate show. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Um, but you know, at, at that sort of standard, you are, you're in 12 seaters, you're not making any money from shows, you're sleeping on top of each other. Um, you know, you want to do a, a full tour and you're stuck in that van for, you know, could be up to a month, two months to tour. And that's, that's doing, just doing the East coast of Australia. So that's really just doing from Queensland to Melbourne and then you'll throw in Canberra and Adelaide. Um, and you could, it could take you a month to do all those spots on a, a normal tour. These days, I'm very lucky to be with Baker Boy where we get um, treated a little bit better than sleeping on top of each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we get to fly around and we all have our own hotel room. We get fed, we get looked after, we, we get the whole thing. But um, it really depends on the group of guys you're with too. Because, I mean, I've been in bands where we fight constantly. I've punched on with band members and left bands in the middle of Sydney and I'm from Melbourne, like <laughs> done, done the whole thing. So, I mean, for me to play in front of 30,000 people now, it's taken me nearly 20 years to get that. Wow. Um, you need to have your own hobbies. You need to have your own space and your own thing. As soon as the band stops, I go, you go for a walk, go do something else and talk to anyone. And sometimes it helps when you're on tour with another band or two. So if there's three is on the same roster and it's like, you know, I'm going to go hang out with that band today. And that band's, that band's guitarist sick of that band's drummer. So me and the drummer will go out for lunch and then all the guitarists will go piss off and do something else with each other because <laughs> we don't want to see our own band members because we hate each other. But then with the guys I'm with now, I mean, I've been with, with Denzel or Baker Boy for five years and I've never had an argument with one person in that band. And, you know, being able to travel like that, but even uh, I, I travel a lot easier and I've taken up other other um, hobbies. I've taken up photography. I always try to find a gym wherever I go. Um, you know, I go and do my own thing. Like our, our TM and front of house guy, Toby, is a big gym person. Um, he's more riding bikes and running, but I've slowly pulled him over to the, the weightlifting life. So we go, as soon as we hit a town, we go and find a gym. Um, we go and knock the dust off of the airport and you just have to try and find whatever you can to try and stay sane on the road. Yeah. Um, the biggest one mental health wise is post tour depression. That's probably the, and that that's real. I know a lot of people use it as a joke, but that's real. Like you're on this high, like you go on Groove in the Moo Tour or Laneway or Splendor in the Grass. And for, uh, you know, for two weeks, you're being chauffeured around and fed and treated like royalty you're playing 30,000 people a day, staying in these fancy hotels, and then you get home. And the band's gone, the crowd's gone, the notoriety's gone, everything's gone. And I get in my car Monday morning and I go to work where no one gives a shit who I am. Mm. And that can hit you really hard. You go from this adrenaline to like, I'm going to be normal again for a little while. It's the shit. Wow. <laughs> But I suppose people don't see that, did he? And what was it within you then that obviously with your background and being around such an amazing community, 
being brought up the right way and learning about morals and about being there for other people. But what was it getting to the height of that kind of fame and still riding that wave? But then that Monday morning, getting into that industry of helping people, was it coming through that community that you'd been around? Um, I mean, get, getting into the work that I got into, again, it was a family business, that, but then I had elders that really pushed me in that direction as well. Because as I said, I didn't want to be a youth worker. Um, and it's very much you live two separate lives as well. Like my, my nine to five job doesn't ever cross over with my, my music job and, and vice versa. They're, they're both super, super, super separated. Um, it's more that again, you know, you live one life and then you have to turn it on and go to this other life. Uh, but then the type of work I do, you know, you have to turn on different personalities through the day just to survive some of the places that I've worked too. So you tend to be good at chopping and changing, but the, the strength of my community and the, the political sense and the history and, and the strength that that community gives me in the way um, we've fought for so long for, for so many rights. It, it gives you that, I come here for a reason. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a, there's a bigger picture here than, than me and this client that I'm working with now. There's a, there's a lot bigger picture. You know, as you said, my Bible works in a lot of prisons and black deaths in custody is a huge thing in this country. So when I go to work every day, I'm not going there to go, I need to go do my checkups and I need to go do whatever forms or check on people in different cells I have 450 black deaths in custody on my back every time I walk in the door. I carry that with me every time I go to work is, am I going to have that happen to me at work? How do I stop that from happening at work? How do I make sure I build some kind of component within this place that I work so that doesn't happen while I'm here? And what pieces of the system are broken that I could help really hopefully help to change so it doesn't happen? So you, 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 you do carry a lot more load, but it gives you that extra kick in the ass too to go, you're here for a really good reason. Yeah, but as long as I've even known you, like the stuff that I've learned off, off you about, about the communities, and I think I told you recently that I've just started working alongside an incredible community for the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islands, welcome to country. So I'm learning even more. Yeah. But it's absolutely amazing some of the stories and one thing about the IPC and when I was talking to Joe about it is when I was learning about the Aboriginal communities, it's, it's yeah. a sense of the oldest form of communication is storytelling and you listen to your elders and you pass it on and it goes through generations and generations. And I still have to go with you yeah. boys to the Blue Mountains to, uh, to go camping in these areas. But tell me about some of the things like you've gone so deep into working with the youth and what, what turned your attention to brain development so when I first started youth work, you didn't need, and they may have something different up your way, but it's a working with children's check. Mm. And that, that's a, it's, a obvious, it's a very rigorous based police check to make sure that you can have anything to do with children. Didn't need a children's check. You didn't need qualifications. You didn't need nothing. You just went in with your police check and you do what you're told. Now, youth work very, used to be quite punitive. Now, there was a lot of really good workers that, you know, had that empathy skill where they could understand that a, a, a child's in a really crappy predicament, predicament. But then you've got a lot of staff that are very on the policy. So it's, 
Um, you know, a kid smashes a window, they lose their pocket money, you ring the police, you have them charged. Simple as that, it's property damage. Then there was this guy, Bruce Perry, that come up with this brilliant idea that looked at, okay, so that kid smashed a window, but why did he smash the window? What led up to that kid smashing the window? Why is he even angry? Nothing happened. What are all these reasons for all these things happening? Because human beings aren't born bad. They're not born racist. They're not born bigoted. They're not born. Everything we do is learnt. Yeah. Everything is, is environmental. It's, it's developmental. And that, that's, that's how we grow as human beings. Where uh, I actually just had a, 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 one of my best mates have his first little boy. And I said, you know, you, and he was has this fear of you know I'm a new dad I, I, I don't want to break this thing and the, the way I could explain it and the what what drove me to it was think of a child as a blank piece of paper now you can throw paint at it you can throw pencils at it you can throw whatever you want you can draw whatever picture you want on there but everything comes off like a whiteboard mm. all you can do is throw paint at it see what sticks whatever sticks is what the picture that child's going to draw of its future. That's what the, the picture is going to be painted by the child. You just need to give it the colours and the pencils to make sure it draws the right picture. When I heard stuff like that and learning about, you know, there's, there's specific reasons why these things happen and specific reasons developmentally and in, brain, in their brain development, their trauma-informed practices on why these things happen, that just, I, there was something about it just, fascinated me about you know the human body's been a big thing for me for a long time my my granddad used to be the ice truck driver for a morgue in, in melbourne when i was a kid mm. so the human body and and that kind of stuff has always fascinated me i actually wanted to be an embalmer when i was a kid that was my dream job i wanted to open up my own funeral home and i wanted to open up a funeral home that was culturally safe for aboriginal torres Strait Islander people to come and have culturally appropriate services for when family members died. Because uh, um, there's only one of the Victorian. I thought if I could build another one and I did it myself, it was done by Aboriginal people. So I've always had this fascination with the human body and how it works. But now instead of what my dream was, was to help families when their loved ones pass away. It's like I have this child that is not broken, but a little bent. How do I straighten it? How do I fix this kid? How do I find out what's going on in their head and put it back together like a little puzzle? And once you finish that puzzle, that's when that kid can get a job and get a nice partner and have a family and buy a house. And, you know, it, it, you're piecing that. It's like raising your own child, except they're, they're 16 years old and their developmental age could be five. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I bring them from five to 16? So it just, the whole thing around it, and I could blab on for hours and hours, but the whole thing just fascinated me on, on just the way people tick. But this is this is what fascinates me about these conversations and why I like going deep with them, because there's so many surface-level conversations. And when we go deep, and like, unbeknownst to the audience, we go deep when we've had these conversations. But what yeah. would you say with everything that you've been through in terms of that side of profession and working with kids... Yeah. What are we, and again, this is your personal opinion, what are we doing wrong as a society? Do you feel it's we're not treating people as people, human, and finding 
too much. I know we've developed more in that sense, and there are a lot of people like yourself, but in your experience and what you've seen, I would say, what or how do you think we could do better as a society? I think the world's become very unempathetic to other people's situations. Mm. Now, you, you look at things on the news, like, for example, yesterday, the absolutely horrible it was a horrible thing that should never have happened but then on that same facebook page there was a bloke that was hard done by and stole a lemonade from the milk bar was beaten up by a bloke out the front they go good on him serves you right you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have stolen anything can you, can you just, I've just, um, I'll have to just edit that part. Can you just go back and tell me that? Because you just totally went off there. So I just heard about the last little bit. <laughs> so the okay. Facebook page. <laughs> Sorry, mate, Wi-Fi. Yeah. So on, on, on a Facebook page, you could have one story about 9-11 and people are empathetic to the situation and, and you know, whatever else, and as they should be. But then in that same, we'll, we'll take Australia for the, the, this thing. You will have a look at a death in custody where an Aboriginal person was murdered by police officers for absolutely no reason. And if anyone from America watches this, you can use George Floyd as an example. And the first thing that's on that post, well, what did he do wrong? He must have done something wrong then. It's like a person has just died. And a family is now mourning. And an entire community is now mourning. Oh, yeah, but they must have done something wrong. We've lost empathy for singular people mm. singular human beings we've lost compassion for each other um like i don't use facebook anymore i have it there for my music and i post on it and i turn it off um rule one in aboriginal community is don't read the comments that is that is literally rule one which it shouldn't be yeah. but we've lost so much empathy for other human beings you know it, it, they're a drug addict. Oh, well, they're a drug addict. Yeah, but why are they a drug addict? How did they become a drug addict? They didn't just pop out the womb and go, you know what? Heroin sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Turn 16, might smoke crack. Why not? There is a reason that things happen to people. There is a reason why people go down certain paths. They're not always good paths, but there is a reason why everyone goes down a path. But as soon as they go down a path that is not like yours or mine, Yep. They're just a horrible person and they don't actually matter anymore. I think that's where we need to change the narrative. Yeah. And we need to start looking at human beings as human beings. Second off that, I hate the internet and I, I hate half the stuff that these kids watch on the internet. I think it dumbs them down and it is depressing and it takes away that humanity in kids. I ate dirt, and I'm going to sound like an old man now, but I ate dirt when I was a kid. I played with sticks. I climbed trees. I punched on with my mates. Like, that's what I did as a kid. I got a great immune system. My body's a little ragged, but, you know, we're all right. We're alive. Yeah. But I also think on the opposite side of that, you've either got that part of, of children, but then you've got the other side where they're bubble wrapped. Kids are going to break bones. They're going to fall over. They're going to have their heart broken. They're going to, all these things, are gonna, and it's all a part of life, and it's, how we grow as people. And I've met so many people that have had this as children and children now that have been so bubble wrapped that they just can't handle life. 
Yeah. And when you can't handle life, we have things like depression and drug use and suicide and, and, and that kind of stuff. So it's, there's a, needs to be more empathy, less bubble wrap, and we need to raise kids as kids. Kids need to be kids. Yeah. But I think that compassion for other human beings is probably the biggest one because we've lost that as the human race. Well, I think we're even seeing it now. I mean, I actually, with what's been happening with everything, lockdown and vaccines and all this kind of stuff, I've stayed away. I've, I've literally posted the stuff with the campaign stuff to get people recognizing mental health conversations. But even yeah. I, I would, it, it started getting to me watching people, friends tear into each other. And in the end, I had to put a post and I was like, you know what? If I bought into it and I'm pretty strong, Imagine someone who hasn't got support. They're hearing all these stories. Their mm. mental health's already suffering. They're getting anxiety, mm. panic attacks. They're hesitant yeah. already. It's not that they yeah. might want to take something, but they're hearing everything else. And that's going yeah. like, so before you're judging or pointing fingers, let's go, hey, how are you doing? Mm. Like, let's, because yeah. we don't know anyone's medical history. We don't know their mental health status. So let's- Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm vaccinated. I'm, I'm completely vaccinated. And I mean, the only two reasons I'm vaccinated is, or sorry, maybe three, is one, I want to keep my community safe. And currently in Melbourne, the Aboriginal population has the highest vaccination rate in the state. We are 3% of the population, but we're something like 30% of the, no, not even, we're, we're the biggest percentage of, of vaccinated people in Victoria. I work in places where people are locked in. So if I happen to catch it and take it into a facility of 1,800 people, they, they can't leave and go on quarantine. They can't, they're stuck there. So that's on me that I need to be wary of that. And two, really selfishly, I just want to go back on tour. I want to play music again. <laughs> yeah. I want to, yeah. I actually want to live, live my life. And I, I come down to the, the um the gruesome realization of i would rather get vaccinated and die in a month and get two more tours under my belt than sit on my couch for another 30 years and be unhappy mm. i'd rather be happy for the next month and die from the vax than sit and stare at the wall for 30 years because in that month i can do way more living than what i can sit in my lounge room and if it's my time it's my time but when we talk about dedication to music, I am, I will do literally anything to play music, <laughs> even that. Yeah. But like, like you but say, it's I, really I, nasty. Yeah. I just think it's, I think it's gone past either Vax and that, this, not even this conversation. I think it's gone past that dilutedness of social media and how people are using it and the empathy and compassion. I think that is where we need to change things, like you were saying. But um, how have you gone throughout everything? Like you're always open about your mental health, but I mean, on tour, mm. you're taking on everyone's energy yourself when you're dealing with people with PTSD and then learning yeah. about brain development. I mean, when we all take on energy ourselves, it can affect us. So what do you do for your yeah, own cool. mental health? Um, I mean, as I said, I've taken up photography, so I, I <laughs> yeah. like to stick my head pin, head pins on headphones on and I disappear <laughs> up bush or you know when we're not in lockdown I go in the city or I go for a walk and I just take photos of things like 
I have the opportunity to travel the world playing music. So I got all these hours up my sleeve. I go take cool photos of things. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a, a home gym. I'm I'm lucky enough to have been a PT in the past, so I I tend to hoard things. So I've hoarded a the entire gym in my garage. Was it? Um, I got my drums. I play that constantly. My neighbours hate me, but I don't care what they think. But wasn't it last lockdown when we when we were chatting a lot more when we was doing stuff with the campaign and you was like, mm. I just bloody sold all my stuff and now lockdown's back or something. What 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 are you? No, I was about to. It was about to. That was it. <laughs> I had I had someone made me an offer, and I'm like, cool, come pick it up. And then lockdown came and I'm like, you know what? I hate to be that guy, but I think I'm going to hold on to this stuff for a little bit longer. And I'm very I was that, that guy. I did, that. I did sell it. I, I, I've ended up with a barbell. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. that's it, mate. Yeah. So I've been ordering it's- some stuff. All right. So now we've talked, obviously, and we've delved deep about the stuff and, and brain development and PTSD. Um, you work a lot in therapeutic therapy, uh, therapies, I suppose. So what do you do in terms of... Let's go down the rabbit hole. You're dealing with a lot of kids. You're dealing a lot. You've worked in youth offenders and things like that. Do you think it's working in, 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 no, I'm not even going to say that because if it. All right. So obviously we know that you delving D work a lot in brain development and uh, PTSD. What have you learned? Again, this is a learning lesson because what I like to do is with the audience is so they can take stuff away from it. So for a lot of people who may have come from, say, less privileged or a community where they're in an environment where they feel they're trapped and they either go down a Mm -hmm. certain route. And the, the reason why I say this to you is because it's a learning curve for people because you've been there, you've seen it, you work with kids, you work with grown adults who have been there as well. If someone's yeah. happened to come across this podcast, and this is why I like to ask the questions, what would you say to them? Or how can they reach out for help if they feel that nobody ever wants to listen to them? Or that, like you talk about, with the Aboriginal community, that sometimes the background with the police has never been a good one. Yeah. When we're looking at anyone, whenever I look at anyone that has trauma, and whenever I'm looking at, at anyone I'm trying to help or anyone I'm giving advice to, there's four main components And these are the main four things that I use every day and not just to work, but for myself as well, is structure, stability, consistency, and predictability. You go to the gym. What are the main components of growing muscle and looking lean and eating healthy? Structure, stability, consistency, and predictability. Mm -hmm. I know that these four things are going to happen through the day and these are the benefits that I'm going to get. Take those four things, wake up the same time every morning, eat the same thing every morning, get yourself into a structure, get yourself in a routine. And look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy. Nothing to do with mental health or trauma or, or help is easy. It is the hardest thing you'll do. Today is the first time that I've, I've trained in a little bit and before that for a long time. <laughs> and you know my structure and, and was you know I was up before I am I was doing cardio I ate breakfast I went to work I finished work I come home I did weights ate dinner and went to bed that was my structure I did that every day now I'm I'm lucky to my alarm to go off at 8 30 to be at work by nine and I'm working from home um and I'm trying to 
force myself back into that structure, that stability, that consistency, and that predictability of my day. And it is not easy. And, and, and for someone that does it for a living, I still struggle at it. I, my, my, my first thing is always those first components. I'll say it again, structure, stability, consistency, predictability. You can have it in your own life, but then when I'm working with other people, you know, you're working with kids in a resident structure. They need to have some form of structure. They've never had structure before. Their stability is they have a roof over their head. They know they're welcome home. Um, consistency is they're going to be the same staff every Tuesday at five o'clock. The same staff member is going to be there. They build relationships. Um, consistency, again, you have that consistency of affection, that consistency of, of positive reinforcement. And it's really how you look at it and how it can benefit you the most. In the sense of someone struggling and wanting to speak out, that's even harder again. That's, I'm a big believer in, what's the best way to say it? People need to ask for help when they need to, but I think it's more important that we ask other people if they need help. Because when you're in, if you've been in that position, and I'm only speaking from personal experience, when you're in that hole, the first thing that comes to mind is nobody cares. So if my brain's telling me that nobody cares, why do I bother calling someone to tell them I'm upset? What's the point if nobody cares? I know they said they do, but if I'm in that moment, I happen to get a text message from a brother going, hey, bros, love you, just wanted to check on you, see how you're doing. That opens up this door. For me to go, love you too, you know, not doing too great, but how are you traveling? Then that conversation opens up and it's not hard to open up that conversation. Sometimes it can be scary to open that conversation because you don't know what you're going to get back. Um, but I think it's more the responsibility of other people asking other people if they're okay. And not on are you okay day, I put that shit to the side. Every There's 365 days in the year. I check up on at least one person a day. One person a day. Hey, bros, I haven't spoken to you. Hey, sissy, I haven't seen you in a while. You know how things have been going. If they need to spend half an hour on the phone, I can spare half an hour. I'm working from home. Like, come on. What's half an hour for a brother or a sister? Yeah. But I think it's us actually needing to open up the conversation with people. And if people feel like they're strong enough, open up. You need to. You have to. Um, people actually do give a shit funnily enough, whether you believe it or not, people actually do care. And it's taken me a long, long, long time to realize that, you know, I'll ring people and not tell them I'm not okay. I'll just ring them to say hello. And even just having a normal conversation with someone makes me feel better. I've rung so many people in the last two months and they would have had no idea that I felt the way I felt. But I felt better after just having that convo. You know, my mate just had a newborn. Russ, how's the little one? How's things? You know, how, you know is, he, is he rolling around on the floor? Oh, yeah. Like, is his hair grown? Like, you know, what? that made me feel better to talk about his newborn son or my nephew. Yeah. He didn't know that I felt the way I felt, but I felt better after that conversation. So you don't even need to ring people to say you're not okay. You just need to ring someone and just have a chat. Be normal. <laughs> I know it works for me. But I think there's two things I want to touch on there because this is one thing that I always say to people. And I always say you can be active within your day. However, when people say they're busy, I'm like, come on. When you have your lunch break, 
or when you go to the toilet, how many people take their phone with them? Or when you've like, it takes less yeah. than 30 seconds just to do exactly what you said. And I know that you know me from voice notes. If I don't have time to text, I'll send a voice note to check in. And everyone's like, Glenn just sends voice notes to everyone. But it's that, I want people to hear my voice. And then it starts this whole thing. And by the end of it, you're like, just pick up the bloody phone. But, <laughs> but it's yeah. not checking in. And I think- But it is. I, I, I do always say to people, I'm like, look, when you're saying you're busy, I get it. Sometimes you can be active doing things. However, that 30 seconds that you take time to go around your friends or whatever, just pick a couple at a time even and just check in yes. and say, it makes a yes. difference. And for guys, I just want to say, the first time that one of my mates turned around and was like, you know what, Glenn, love you, mate. And I was like, uh, 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 it's hard, it's hard. But once yeah. you get past that and it's like, you actually think like, yeah. damn, if I didn't have that person in my life or I didn't, because women can say it off the bat, but men, I was yeah. like, yeah, it's... Um, it's big no-no. Yeah, it is. Like a, a mate of mine, did a, he did something really smart the other day. He, he put like 60 of his friends in a Facebook chat I just started a video. Wow. And whoever jumped in, jumped in. And he just spoke to whoever jumped in. I ended up in that video chat for nearly three hours. <laughs> just watching all these people come and go and hanging out and talking to people. Everyone had a beer and a feed and we're just chatting over Facebook chat. But nice. he's like on board. He put 60 people in a group and just press go. And just, let's just see what happens. And then wow. they had a couple of drinks and then text messages started, why are you in my Facebook chat? <laughs> <laughs> then the arguing started. <laughs> but everyone had fun. It, it, and, oh, and then the argument started and everything else started. But, but that was a way for him to go, I can't talk to one person. What if I just put 60 people in a group and just say hello to whoever pops up because I'm bored? Wow. There's so many different ways about going. There's so many ways to go about things. Because it could be nerve-wracking ringing one person saying, I don't feel good. Yeah. Well, you chuck 60 people in a group, just press video. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Man. So I want to ask you the all important question that I ask everybody that comes onto it. And you know this question because you've heard it so many times. But again, through everything you've learned, all the experiences, through your own mental health, well-being, what would you ultimately say? Because I would say that you've pretty much been with me along this journey for some bloody time now. What's yeah. your answer to when it comes to what does it mean to being perfectly to you? Sorry, say that again. What does it mean to being perfectly perfect to you? To me? I'll I give you an example. No. I was going to say no to the dartboard behind you, mate. <laughs> Close to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the perfect example. People see me on social media and my life's awesome. Oh, did you freeze? Oh, no. People see me on my social media, my life's rad. I go and play in front of 40,000 people of Splendor, Splendor in the Grass. My, my life's amazing. I hang out every other day with one of the biggest hip-hop artists in the country. My life's amazing. And then I get home and I just can't get out of bed Monday morning. My, on that Monday morning, my life's shit. No one cares about me. There's no point in getting up and no one would miss me if I didn't get up. People see to see this perfect picturesque Benny Clark on social media, which that person's real too, 110%. But 
he's really there. He really gets to do those things and he really has fun doing those things and, and loves the people that he does it with. But there is that side of, like, I can't get up Monday morning. I don't want to face the day. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to see anybody. I actually have woken up some days and been angry at myself because I did wake up. I am perfect on one side and I'm horribly imperfect on the other. Wow. But without both of those sides, I wouldn't be me. And then moving through that question where you say when you do have those thoughts and those feelings, if people do resonate and feel like that, how have you or do you work through those moments? I, I have a... Can I say one bad word? Maybe I've already said a few. <laughs> and I'm going to say I'm going to say one good one. Sorry, two. I was having a really bad night one night, and Denzel Baker boy happened to ring me, and he caught me in the middle of an anxiety attack, and I was freaking out. And I thought maybe if I answer my phone and talk to Denzel, I might feel a little bit better. And. He goes, are you okay? I said, nah, no, I'm not. And he, and he goes, why? And I started telling him and he started laughing at me. Like, why are you laughing? He goes, so you're upset, why? I said, I just feel this and this. He goes, remember who the fuck you are. You're Benny motherfucking Clark. No one else can be that. So every time I, I, I get up in a shit mood, I say to myself, remember who the fuck you are. I'm a strong, proud gun I I man. I play with the biggest hip-hop artists in the country. I work in the best job in the world. I've helped lots of people. And even just that, me now saying that is really hard to say that. Remember who you are. I mean, you don't have to do what I do to remember who you are. You, Anything, you just getting out of bed makes you the strongest person in the world. Remember who you are. You're that guy that got out of bed. You're that girl that got out of bed. You're that person, that human being that got out of bed that day. You started the day right. No matter what you do with the rest of it, you got up. And that is the most important thing. That's what helps me get through. It's just those little words from Denzel. Remember who you are. You are this person. And no one else can be this person but you. Wow. And I was actually going to finish it on and say, have you got any wisdom to finish off with? And that exactly there, mate. You just did it. Remember who the fuck you are. I'm going to say <laughs> right in there. Remember who you are. You're wow. a badass motherfucker that no one can touch. Exactly, mate. And we're all made with unique gifts to help other people. It's, uh, you know what, mate? It's, it, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, mate. You have so much respect. Um, where can people find out more information about you though so they can follow you and everything that you're up to and your projects yeah so my, my main point of call is my Instagram so it's bc at bc underscore drum warrior um, and I pretty much just post off there that's kind of my main source of communication um, but I do have a photography page but that's not that fun that's just me taking photos of random crap for people to look at but <laughs> At BC underscore Drum Warrior, that's that's where you can find me, and all my and all my shit. <laughs> and this is this is what I love about you. He's like, guys, 
seriously check him out and check what he's up to he's so humble and that's that's one thing i love about people it's like you have got so many accolades mate you play in front of all these people but you're the one of the most realist down-to-earth humblest people who puts other people before you because you've been there experienced it and you don't want anyone else to so I just want to say on behalf of myself and everything that you've always been there for me, supportive, the boys and the campaign, mate, thank you very much. And guys, just remember, keep having these hard conversations because these hard conversations past the surface level are what saves lives. So until next time, keep having them and keep checking in. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.